Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace Church. If we've never met before, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors on staff. So as Steve said, thank you guys for coming out. Also, I want to welcome those of you who are watching online as well. So today, we're going to talk about uh, the human body. And so before we dive into the message part, I'm actually going to start by giving you guys a little quiz about the human body to see how well you know your body. So uh, who's excited? Who, who thought, you know what I want to do this morning? I want to take a quiz really early. So get out your number two pencils. All right, so uh, this is, I do not want you to shout your answers out. I want you just to think about this in your head. You can grade yourself. We'll, we'll trust that you're going to grade it well uh, and accurately. So here's your quiz, human body. Force you guys to start thinking early in the morning. So here we go. How many bones are in the adult human body? Again, say it to yourself, not out loud, 78, 152, 188, or 206. How many bones are in the adult human body? The answer is 206. Although you were born, fun fact, with about 350 bones, many fused together, so by adulthood you only have 206. All right, so again, keep this in your head, grade yourself. If you didn't get that one right, you got three more chances. Number two, what is the heaviest organ in the human body. Kidney, skin, liver, brain. What is the heaviest organ in the human body? And some of you, I'm just, because I, I know how some of you think, some of you who are a little bit more on the arrogant side, you're like, well, for me, it's probably the brain, right? Like, that's what you're, that's what you're thinking. Uh, that's you, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Uh, the answer is your skin is the heaviest organ, weighing around 11 pounds, and now you're thinking, I didn't even know the skin was an organ, right? You're like, I didn't know that. So, all right, so that's second one. Here's the third one for you. Where in the body are new blood cells made? The bones, the liver, the brain, or the heart? Where in the body are new blood cells made? Think about it. Here we go. The answer is your bones. Blood cells are made in bone marrow inside of your bones. All right, that's number three. One more question. If you haven't gotten any right, this is your last chance to redeem yourself. Here we go, number four. Which of these muscles is the strongest? The biceps, the hamstrings, the jaw, or the buttocks? And my wife was like, are you really gonna say buttocks from the stage? I said, I guess I have to, because it's part of the quiz. So, which of these muscles is the strongest? And the answer is the jaw. The masseter muscle in your jaw can close teeth with more than 200 pounds of force when chewing food. So, that's your quiz. So, show of hands, how many of you got all four right? All right, congratulations, you got an A, you have 100%. How many of you got three out of the four right? All right, that's pretty good, but uh, statistically, I'm sorry, you have a C, because uh, that's only 75%. How many of you got two? Two, I'm, I'm not gonna read out your percentage grade, because it's not good, and uh, it just goes downhill from there. So, uh, so that's your quiz about the human body. So uh, if today is your first time here, right now we find ourselves in a summer-long series that is called Jesus Over All. Jesus overall. And one of the things Tony talked about when he first launched this series was the fact that when we get this out of order, that whenever we place anything over Jesus, that we are actually living a disordered life, that we are living outside of what is true and what is real about our world. And so as you can see from this slide, we have been breaking down this uh, series, Jesus Overall, into a bunch of different sub-series. And so we started by looking at Jesus over our time, and then we spent four weeks looking at Jesus over our pain. And today we're going to introduce and launch a new sub-series entitled Jesus Over Our Body. 
Now, before we can get into any of the application of what it looks like to really live this out, we need to start by laying a theological foundation for this. And so what I want to do today is I want to start by giving you five truths about the human body, five things that we find in Scripture that can serve as a foundation for not just today, but kind of for the rest of this sub-series. And then with the time that we have left, I want to talk through one implication to that reality. So five truths, one implication, that's where we're headed today. And we actually have a ton of ground to cover. So if you guys are ready, we're just going to dive in and I'm going to start fire hosing you with stuff. So the five truths. So here we go. Truth number one is this. It's that God created our body. So any good theology or any good theology of the body needs to start here and it needs to start with the reality that God created our body. Now, for those who might not be as familiar with the Bible, let me show you a couple places we see this. So the first one comes in Genesis chapter 1. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. We see the same idea again later in the book of Psalms. Psalmist says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And so again, any proper theological understanding of the human body has to start with the fact that God created our body, that our body is not an accident, that it is not just random chance that you came into existence, but rather that your body was designed and engineered by a master craftsman with intention and with purpose in mind. And that this world that we live in was also designed with our human bodies in mind, that God gave us a world perfectly designed to support and meet every physical need that we have. Now, for time's sake, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this first one because I think most people, even if you are not a follower of Jesus, you understand what the Bible teaches on the fact that God created the human body. So truth number one, the beginning layer of our foundation, again, is that God created our body. So leads to number two, which is this. It's that our body is good. The human body is good. So one of the implications of the fact that God created our body is that means that our body must be good because God is good. And so if you go back to the passages we just looked at, at the end of chapter one, we read this. We read that God saw all that he had made, right? He had just finished making man. He saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And you find the exact same thing again in Psalm 139. Right after the passage we read, the very next verse says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And what both of these verses affirm is that the body that God designed for us, that it was good, that the body he gave us was perfectly designed to help us live out the life that he has called us to. Now, for some of you, that might not seem like that revolutionary of an idea, but this is actually something that has been seriously debated throughout human history. And so, for example, back in the third century, there was a religion formed called Manichaeism, which actually taught the exact opposite of this. It taught a dualism that described the spiritual world as good and the physical or the material world as evil. And so everything that we would consider spiritual, we would put in the category of, well, that's a good thing. We should care about that. We should do that. We should focus on that. And everything that was physical or material, including our body and its cravings, were considered bad. 
And the Bible actually, or history actually teaches us that this religion thrived for about 500 years to the point where there was a time in history where this became one of the most dominant religions and ways of thinking in the world. And this line of thinking is not just something that like used to exist somewhere back in the day. It actually still exists today. And so we can find traces of this thinking and the practice of asceticism, which is the denial of pleasure, in Gnosticism and Platonism and Buddhism and many other religions as well. And so let me just say that any theology that says that your human body is bad is a very dangerous way of thinking that can lead you down some pretty dark paths. And so for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we need to be incredibly careful not to allow any form of that thinking or that line of theology to creep into and to merge with Christian theology. Because when you have a biblical theology of the body, you understand that the body and its desires, they are not evil, but they are actually very, very good. Like how C.S. Lewis put it, he said it like this. He said, Christianity is almost the only one of the great religions which thoroughly approves of the body, which believes that matter is good, that God himself once took on a human body, that some kind of body is going to be given to us even in heaven and is going to be an essential part of our happiness. So again, the Bible is for the human body and it is for everything that comes with it. Now the Bible will at times use phrases like the lust of the flesh, which have often been misunderstood to be anti our physical body. But in every instance, you find that phrase, what that phrase is referring to is not an evil desire of the physical body, but rather it is a distortion of a good and God-given desire. And so the physical cravings that we all have and experience for things like food and sleep and even things like sex, these are all good and God-given desires which we were meant to have. And in the right context, they were meant to be fulfilled. And so the question is not, are these desires good? But the question is, is Jesus Lord over these desires? Or have we flipped it and have we allowed these desires to be Lord over us? And so number one, God created the body. Number two, our body is good. Number three, our body is broken. Our body is broken. And so even though God created our body, even though he created a good, if you continue to read the creation narrative in Genesis, you get to chapter three. The reality is we live in a fallen world. And so our bodies, they're also broken. And so this means we experience things like sickness and disease and the general breakdown of our bodies as we age. This also means that certain parts of our body will not always function the way that they were designed to or the way that we want them to. And so some of us will experience things like heart problems or struggles with infertility or blood sugar levels that don't regulate the way that they are designed to. This also means we'll experience cravings and desires that are not always in line with reality. And so there will be times when our body wants more food when it doesn't actually need more food. Or when we want to keep sleeping, when what we should actually do is to get up and to move. And so even though our bodies are good, the reality is they are also broken. 2 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul says it like this. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, 
persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Skip down to verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self, our body is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul compares our bodies to jars of clay or earthen vessels that are slowly wasting away. And he says we have this treasure, and he's referring to the gospel. He says we have this amazing truth of the gospel, but kind of the irony of all of it is that we carry this amazing treasure around in these fragile bodies that are easily and often broken and that do not always work the way that we want them to. Truth number three is that our bodies are broken, which leads us to number four, which is this. It's that our body, our physical body, impacts us spiritually. Our body impacts us spiritually. And so one of the realities of living an embodied life is that we must also live out an embodied faith, right? Our faith is not just lived out in some ethereal spiritual world, like out there somewhere, but in a real and physical world through a real and physical body. And so more often than not, our physical bodies, they can have an incredibly powerful impact on our spiritual lives. And so, for example, when our body is hurting, when something is broke, when we get sick, when something starts to fail, that physical ailment can and will impact us spiritually. For some of us, it could drive us to our knees in prayer, and it could force us to rely and be more dependent on God. And for others of us, it could drive us away from God. It could cause us to get angry at God. Tony talked about this, this kind of dynamic during the pain series that we just went through. But the point is that our physical body and its health, it can and it will impact us spiritually. These are not separated things. We are one unified body, one like person, uh, spiritual and physical. They're, they're together. And those decisions, it can impact the decisions we make. And it can even impact the way that we view and we interact with God himself. This also means that we must decide how we will use our physical body. And again, the reality is we can use our body to help or to hurt. We can use it for good or for evil. We can use it to serve God, or we could use it to oppose him. Romans chapter 6 says it like this. It says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought forth, brought from death to life, and your members, your body, to God as instruments for righteousness. And so the same hand that could be put on someone's shoulder in a time of grief could also be put on someone with intentions to harm. And the same tongue that can be used to encourage and lift someone up could also be used to discourage or to tear somebody down. The same body that we can use to physically serve our neighbor could also be used to steal from our neighbor. Paul says that we can either use our body to glorify God or we can use it for selfish gain. And so even though we are spiritual beings, we are also clearly physical ones. And God has designed us to live out our faith in a physical body. So our ability to care for and have control over our physical body, it will it will impact and have a role in our ability to follow Jesus, which is why truth number four is that our body, it impacts us spiritually. 
Which leads to our fifth and our final truth, and that one is this. It's that our body is not our own. Our body is not our own. And so if you were here back when we talked about Jesus over our stuff, one of the things that we talked about was the reality that we are not owners of our stuff, but that we are actually stewards over God's stuff. That every single thing that we have, all of it, in reality is actually on loan to us from God. And the reality is the same thing is true when it comes to our physical body. The Bible teaches us that our bodies, that they are not our own, that they are on loan to us from God, and therefore we are called to be stewards over the body that God has entrusted to us. In 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church and to the believers at that church, and here's how he says it to them. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Again, we see a very similar idea in Romans chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so again, the reality is our body is not our own. We are actually stewards over a body that God has entrusted to us. Now, perhaps a helpful way to think about this and to maybe wrap your mind around this idea is to think about the difference between driving your own car and driving somebody else's car. So I want you just to imagine that next week you go to work and for whatever reason your boss hands you the keys to his car and says, hey, I need you to go do this thing. Here's my keys. Take my car. And so if you are driving somewhere and you're driving your boss's car, my guess is most of you would probably drive a little bit differently than you would if you were driving your own car, right? You probably would drive a little bit more carefully. I'm guessing you might drive a little bit slower, right? You definitely don't want to get a speeding ticket while you're driving your boss's car. Uh, Some of you guys might try a little bit harder to keep the car cleaner, Right? You would just drive it differently. There are also probably some things that you might do with your car that you would never consider doing if you're driving your boss's car. Right? Some of you in this room, you like to take your car off-roading. I'm guessing you would probably never consider doing that if you were driving your boss's car. Uh, some of you in, the, in this room, you have small children, and occasionally, against your best judgment, you decide to let them eat food in your car, right? But you would never in a million years allow your small children to eat food in your boss's car because you know that they're going to destroy the place, right? So as I was thinking about this, I was reminded back when uh, me and my wife had our first house and we had to plant a bunch of grass seed in the backyard. And so I needed to get a bunch of straw. And so I drove to this farm where they were selling straw and I needed to pick up 12 bales of straw and I had a really small SUV, And so somehow I crammed 12 bales of straw inside and strapped on top of my SUV. And so the mission was incredibly successful in that I got all 12 bales back to my house. But it was incredibly disastrous because there were little pieces of straw in every nook and every cranny and every crevice of my car that I tried to get out to my detriment and to my failure for probably about two years, right? That stuff, like it literally just got everywhere. And while I willingly chose to do that in my car, I would never consider doing that to somebody else's car. Because when you understand that what you have is on loan from someone else, you treat it differently. And you treat it with an extra level of care. 
And so when it comes to our bodies, when you get this and when you see this, it should have a very similar impact. When you realize that your body is not your own and that it is on loan to you from your heavenly father, it changes the way that you think about and you treat and you use your body. So as I said at the beginning, I wanted to give you five theological truths to kind of lay a foundation, right? And so um, this, this is our foundation for not just the rest of today, but for the rest of this sub-series on Jesus over our body. And so what I said, I wanted to give you five truths, and then I wanted to give you one implication. Now, the reality is there are many implications to the things that we just talked about, uh, some of which we are going to cover uh, in the next few weeks. But with the time we have remaining today, I want to give you just one. And so in light of these truths, here is one of the applications, what I think the first application implication, and it's this, is that we should take care of our body. We should take care of our body, right? If God really has entrusted our bodies to us, if our bodies really are on loan to us, if we know that our physical body can impact us spiritually, if we know that our health can have either a positive or a negative impact on our faith, and that a healthier body can help us serve God better and longer, if all of those things are true, then I think it is super important to think through the ways in which we should take physical care of our bodies, And so when it comes to making healthy choices for our bodies, I want to lean into three areas with the time we have left this morning. Before we do that, let me give you guys a couple disclaimers. So disclaimer number one is I am not going to tell you to train for a marathon or to try and get a six-pack or bench press a certain amount or to look like the person on the cover of the magazine. This This is not about that stuff. I'm also not a doctor or nutritionists, and so I'm not gonna give you an exercise plan or a specific diet of any kind. There's plenty of really smart people who can do that. I'm gonna leave that stuff to them. And then disclaimer number three is this. It's that some of the stuff that we're gonna talk about, it probably will make all of us feel a little bit guilty because all of us can probably do better in some of these areas. But I want you guys to know up front that my goal is not to make anyone in here feel guilty But my goal is to help you align your lives with the reality that Jesus is, he is Lord over your body. Remember the premise behind the series is not, is this true? The premise is, this is true. And the question is, are we living in alignment with that reality? And if we want that to be true, then I do think there are some things that we need to lean into that if we're honest, some of us, many of us would probably rather not talk about. So with that said, there's my disclaimers. Here's our three things. Are we taking care of our body when it comes to how we exercise, how we eat, and how we sleep? Are we making healthy choices when it comes to these three areas of our life? So we're gonna start with how we exercise. And so as I started looking into scripture to see what it says about physical activity, there were two things that stood out to me. The first one can be found in a bunch of different places throughout the Bible, and it is a theme that speaks against the idea of being idle or being lazy. And so again, you can find this all over the place. Let me show you a couple examples of where we see that. Proverbs 21 says, The cravings of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. Again, in 2 Thessalonians, it says, In the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is 
idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching that you receive from us. Now, the idea of being idle or lazy is normally speaking to the idea of work. But one of the things commentators will point out is that in the first century, work was almost always linked to large amounts of physical activity as well. So the verses that lean into laziness and being idle, they are not just talking about your level of productivity. They are also talking about being physically active. Now, for you and I, this is obviously not always the case, right? Statistics will tell you that we live in one of the most sedentary cultures in human history. And so for many of us, when we think about work, we think about getting and sitting in our car for a long commute to work. And then we get to work and we sit at our desks and we sit in meetings and we sit behind screens for large portions of our day. Then we get back into our car so we can sit for another long commute home. Then we get home and we are tired from a long day of work. So what do we do? We go and we sit on the couch and we stare at our phones or we watch TV until it is time to switch from our sitting position to a laying position so that we can sleep. Then we get to do it all over again, right? Like this is, for the, this is the reality for a lot of us and the culture that we live in. I was actually reminded of just how bad this was this past week. I was, I was sitting for a long time, probably working on this, uh, when for whatever reason I decided to, to get up to get something, and my watch congratulated me <laughs> for standing, right? It was like, you did it. Great job. Now, let's be honest. If you are a healthy, non-injured, grown adult, standing is a very low bar to celebrate, Right? Like, this is not exactly an Olympic achievement. I'm not sure I deserve a badge for that. And to be honest, I probably shouldn't need to be reminded to do that. But this is the culture that we live in. Our culture has moved from one that has used to be forced to be active, to live and survive, to one that has made it a goal to relax and to lounge as much as possible. Right? That means that you are winning at life. But the reality is God did not design our bodies to just sit there. He designed them and he created them to move and to be active. And so that's the first thing that stood out to me. Here's the second one. First Timothy 4 says this. It says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So Paul is speaking to uh, his young protege to Timothy, and one of the things that Paul clearly teaches them in this passage is this. He says, for physical training is of some value. He says, for physical training is of some value, which means if you are someone who lives as if physical training is of no value, then you have bad theology. It means if you are someone who does not value or practice physical training or physical activity on any level, then I don't think you are being a good steward of your body. Because Paul teaches us that physical training is of some value. But at the same time, he also teaches us that it is not of ultimate value. And so while some of us place far too little value on physical training, it also means that some of us probably place too much value on it. For some of us in the room, we have great habits and discipline when it comes to our physical care, but we have poor habits and devote little time to our spiritual care. Some of us in this room, we can find time to make it to the gym to work out six days a week, but when someone says, hey, are you in a life group? You say, you know what? I don't have any time for that sort of thing. 
And if this is you, then I think Paul would say, you know what, I think you actually have some bad theology too. And I don't think Paul would say that all your physical activity is wrong, but I think he would say perhaps your motives and your priorities, they might be a little off. They might be a little misaligned. So for some of you in the room, perhaps you put far too much emphasis on your body because you tend to find your sense of value or worth in how you look in the mirror or the next Instagram post or a certain sport that you need to perform at a certain level in. And I think if that's you, Paul would say to make sure that you keep your priorities straight. Make sure that you keep physical training in the some value category and that you place spiritual training in the ultimate value category. Now, if you are someone who errs on the other end of the spectrum and you move far too little, little, then I would simply encourage you that you have to start somewhere. I am not an expert, but most experts will tell you that you need to get an average of 20 to 30 minutes of exercise a day. And so if that's you, if you hear that and you think, I am so far from that, I would simply encourage you to start somewhere, to go for a walk around your neighborhood, to take the stairs at work, to find little ways to start being more and more active and using the body that God has given you. I think the first way that we are called to take care of our body is to use it. It is to move. It is to be active. It's to exercise. Which leads to the second way we can take care of our body, and that is how we eat. Now, when it comes to food, there's actually a whole lot the Bible has to say about it. The Old Testament is filled with all kinds of laws and restrictions about food that God used to teach and to train his people in matters of holiness. And then when you get to the New Testament, the early church is learning and adjusting to life after those laws and rules. You start running into things like fasting and some of the ways, again, that God is using food as a tool and a, and a way to train his people and other things. But for time's sake, if I, if I could, I would like to try and summarize for you what the Bible has to say about food as it relates to someone living in 2023, right? So if you're a follower of Jesus, you're living in 2023, what do I need to know about food? If you guys could be gracious with me, I'm going to probably foolishly try and summarize all of that in two phrases for you. So here's the first one. Is God made food for our enjoyment? So enjoy it. Enjoy it, right? God could have made food tasteless and transactional. He could have made it like putting gasoline in your tank or like plugging your phone into the wall or like recharge for the next day, but he didn't. He gave us all kinds of varieties and flavors of food for us to enjoy, so enjoy it. Thank God for it. Be grateful for it. But at the same time, you didn't ways that honor God and take care of your body. Right? Enjoy it responsibly and with wisdom. So again, I'm not going to give you a diet plan or any specifics on what to eat or not eat. I want the experts to do that. But I do think that this means we should consider both the kind of food and the amount of food that we put in our bodies. Again, you're not going to find a specific verse about this, but I think we all know what kinds of food are healthy and which kinds are not. Literally, I was, I was working on this message in this building this week, and I, I'm like, I need a break. I walked downstairs, and someone had left a box of Twinkies sitting on the counter in there. And I thought, I know, right? Like, we just know what is healthy and what is not. I think you can make a really strong case from the Genesis creation account that the more natural a food is, the more perfectly designed God has made it to help our bodies. And the more processed a food is, the less healthy it probably is for our bodies. Right? I think we get this. 
I also think it means that we need to consider the amount of food that we consume. One of the consistent themes that we find in Scripture is that the follower of Christ is to show self-restraint and self-control in all areas, including the areas of food. Proverbs 23 says it like this. It says, Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. And later in uh, 1 Timothy, again, Paul is speaking to his protege, and he says, hey, I want you to set an example in some things. Here's what he says. He says, now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness. And so multiple times, again, he is speaking to this idea of being in control. And that word temperate that he uses, that's not a word we use very often anymore, uh, but it means to show restraint. It means to be someone who is not given to extremes. And it can be used to show moderation in the context of things like food and alcohol. Now, in the same way it is with exercise, I think we can err in multiple directions on this one. So I think some of us, we err by eating far too little and by not giving our body the nourishment that it truly needs. Perhaps because we have a false image in our mind of what our body is supposed to look like or where our sense of value and worth are actually supposed to come from. And others of us in the room, we can err by eating far too much, like the book of Proverbs warns about. And sometimes that could be due to a lack of self-control. And other times, eating could be a coping mechanism that we use when we are sad or lonely or tired or bored or depressed. And so again, the goal is simply to be healthy as God defines healthy. Let me say that again. The goal is to be healthy, not as our culture would define it, but as God would define healthy, to be good stewards of and to take care of the body that God has given us. And one of the ways I think we need to do that is we need to consider what we eat, both the types of things we put in our body and the amount of them, which leads to the final thing, and that is how much we sleep. It's how much we sleep. So again, if we go back to the creation account again, one of the patterns that we find is one of work and then one of rest. It's one of activity followed by a pattern of taking a break. And so in the same way our bodies are designed for activity, they are also designed to have rest and to recover from our daily activity. So part of taking care of our body is making sure we get a healthy amount of sleep. And again, I'm not an expert, but just for clarity, I did some research on how much sleep does an adult need to be healthy. And the minimum answer that I found seven hours. Some of you in your brain are like, I don't know where I'm finding seven hours. I haven't seen seven hours in a long time. Right now, for some of us in the room, uh, we might err on the side of getting too much sleep, which the Bible actually warns about uh, as well. It actually ties into some of those verses we looked at earlier about laziness. But my guess is that most of us in this room, we would err on the side of getting far too little sleep because we are probably trying to cram far too many things into our lives, right? We think about our lives and all that has to get done and there's no way I'm getting seven hours of sleep. I have to get all this done. So that's where we decide to cut. And so if seven hours seems like light years away and it seems like an impossible task, what I would encourage you to do is to go back where we started this series and re-listen to what it looks like to have Jesus be Lord over your time. Because I think if you do some of the things that we talked about, that you will be able to find some hours in your day that you could devote maybe to getting the proper sleep. 
Um, now, I could easily give you guys a clinical list of reasons why it is so important to get a bunch of sleep and about the effect that that can have and the effects it can have on your physical health and your mental health, including things like anxiety and depression. But what I actually want to do is I actually want to tie this back to one of our five truths instead. And so one of the truths we looked at, truth number four, was that our body impacts us spiritually. And so uh, track with me for a moment. For those of you who have small children in the room, I want you to think about what happens to your children when they are tired, okay? So if they were to miss their nap, or if you were to keep them up far later than you probably should, how do they start to act and behave? Do they become more patient or less patient? Do they have more self-control or do they have less self-control? Do they get wiser and smarter by the hour? Does the exact opposite happen? Does their brain just become the like, how... I don't even know if it's working anymore, right? right? And here's the deal. If you're a parent of small children, you get this, and here's the reality. It's not just children who are affected by that. It's all of us. When we're tired, we're all less patient. We all have less self-control. We all get a little less intelligent when we've lacked some sleep, right? How we treat our bodies, it does and it will impact us spiritually. And if I could press in on one specific uh, example for a moment, one of the patterns that I have noticed in a lot of people, and uh, one of the things that I've seen in our culture is that when, when people tend to do the three things we're talking about, when they tend to take good care of their bodies, one of the band-aids that we as a culture often apply and the quick fix to that problem that we turn to is caffeine. I'm not telling you to never drink coffee so you guys can relax for a second. But what I am saying is if you have made a bunch of bad health decisions and you are just dragging the next morning, the energy drink, the monster, the double shot, the whatever, that should not be a substitute for actually taking care of your body. So again, caffeine is not evil. It is not from the devil. But again, do not make it a substitute for making good and healthy decisions in your life. Because when you properly steward the body that God has given you by staying active and eating right and getting enough sleep, God has designed your body to provide you with all of the energy that you could ever need. Are we making healthy choices when it comes to how we exercise, how we eat, and how we sleep? So with that, I'm gonna invite the band back up while they're coming, I want to close with a final question from a guy named David Mathis. And David Mathis, if you're not familiar with him, he is the executive editor of a, uh, of a site called DesiringGod.org. And so he was uh, actually speaking at a Christian fitness conference. I didn't know those existed until a few weeks ago, but he was speaking at a Christian fitness conference. And David, he asked a question that I think is just so vital to what we're talking about today. So here's the question he asked. He said, the goal of fitness is not to look good in the mirror or on Instagram. True fitness means our bodily ability serves other purposes. The body is fit to do something. The question is, fit for what? And so in the same way that we might say that a certain person is fit to serve as king, or maybe might say that a certain person is unfit to be a parent, right? we're saying they're either qualified or they're not, they're either ready or they're not, and the question that David asks is, why should a Christian care about fitness? And the deeper question is, fit for what? And the answer, of course, is fit for whatever God calls you to.
that you would be fit to serve your neighbor with that project, that you would have the energy and the stamina to invest in the next generation well into your later years, that you would have the endurance and the patience to love the difficult people in your life. One of the questions that we need to ask as followers of Jesus is why should we care about fitness? And I think the answer is, well, fit for what? It's fit for whatever it is that God calls you to. And so this week, I would encourage you to continue this conversation with your community, with the people in your life group, with the people that you know and love who can speak into you and your specific situation and your scenario because they know you best. And I would consider all of us to consider what does it look like to actually live aligned with the reality that Jesus is Lord over our bodies. Would you guys pray with me? Father, you are incredibly good. And uh, we want to be people who are incredibly grateful. And thank you so much for giving us um, these marvelous things that we call the human body. God, you have made them and wired them and designed them in ways that are beyond what I can understand. And God, I'm grateful. God, we also know that our bodies at times can be uh, tremendous sources of pain for some of us when we, when we battle with physical um, illnesses or things that are not working the way designed to. God, there's so much pain that can sometimes come with this. God, there are so many issues that are deeper that we struggle with when it comes to our body, whether it's the food we eat and uh, maybe some body image things. God, there's so many insecurities that our body can create inside of us. So God, I'm just asking that you would meet, meet each one of us in this room, wherever we are and wherever we're at. And God, as we want to consider what it looks like to honor you with all of our lives, God, that includes this body that you've given to us, that you've entrusted to us. So would you help each one of us think through just the ways in which we can do that, to honor you with the bodies you've given? God, would you give us grace? Would you, give, would you show us mercy in the moments when we struggle and when we don't get this right? Father, we love you. We thank you. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.